Hello, everyone, and welcome to the First Love Podcast. For the next four weeks, we'll be bringing you one of Mark Fee's sermon series on prayer, a vital practice for Christians to maintain an ongoing and loving relationship with God. We hope you enjoy this series. Now, let's listen to Mark. For today's message, what I'd like for you to do then is to open up in your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 14, and we're going to begin with verse 32. This, as well, is a prayer of Jesus. Unlike John 17, where Jesus' prayer was not about himself, really, there's the first four verses, but, and even in that, it's only a couple sentences, but in this prayer, Jesus is, in fact, praying for himself. And I love this prayer because this is a prayer where we actually get a little glimpse into the full, true depth of Jesus' humanity. Overall, it's amazing to me how often people tend to minimize his humanity. But let me tell you this, it is so important for us to own that he was fully human and that what he did, he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because everything that we're doing here is trying to serve you, to equip you to continue the ministry of Jesus. And if you think Jesus did what he did out of his divinity, then you'll think you'll never do what he did. But if you recognize that he did it out of his humanity, you're gonna wanna know everything you need to know to be fully equipped so that you can continue that ministry. And one of the things that Jesus did often was pray. All kinds of scriptures and all the different gospels talk about the fact that Jesus went off to private places to pray. He would pray, it says when he was selecting the disciples, he prayed all through the night. Oftentimes they would go looking for him and they'd find him off in a lonely place praying. Jesus prayed often. Hopefully we will learn to pray more. But today specifically, we're gonna look at this prayer in Gethsemane. And the thing I like about this too is that in John chapter 12, verse 27, I just want to highlight because in the sense of Jesus' humanity, in John chapter 12, before he actually goes into the city, Jesus says these words. He says, now my heart is troubled. And you're going to see this again in this prayer, that Jesus' heart was troubled. But he says, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. So Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Now, I love this, he says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Only to see a handful of days later, that's exactly what he prays. Because the pressure got a little bit more intense. Let's take a look at that prayer. Mark 14, verse 32, he says, They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be, and here's those deep emotional words, deeply distressed. Matthew's gospel, it says sorrowful. Luke's gospel, it says anguish. And in all of them, it says, and troubled. Deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. So stay here and keep watch. See, even right at this point, you recognize Jesus' full humanity, don't you? How many times has this been your situation? How many times have you had those kind of moments days before where we go, no, I'm a follower and a servant of Jesus. Lord, let's just do what you're doing until all of a sudden you come to that moment and it really is desperate. 
It really is intense. Either God does something or you die, or God does something or the one whom you really love may die. You know, in Philippians 2, 27, Paul had a friend, Epaphroditus, who'd been sent by the Philippian church to come bless Paul, and then he got really, really sick. And then he's saying to them that he's gonna send them back, and in verse 27, he says, indeed, Epaphroditus was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Isn't that oftentimes what we're looking for when we are praying in these crisis, desperate situations? We want to see the one that we love get rescued or delivered from a sickness, from a difficult situation to spare us sorrow upon sorrow. Jesus understood. Jesus knew what it felt like to be under great pressure as well. And so he prayed. So now let's continue. Verse 35, he says, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Most of us don't understand because it's Aramaic, it's a specific form of Hebrew. Abba meant daddy. Most of us are very uncomfortable addressing Father, God, as daddy. And so would any Jew. But this is in fact the way Jesus encouraged us to pray. Abba, Father. It's here in that most intimate of places Jesus goes before the Lord. Another thing that I caught about this is the fact that Jesus actually goes and prays. (laughs) How many times are you really distressed? How many times are you really under it? And that's sometimes the last thing. You know, you might go, oh God, help me, help me, but then you'll go get real busy, or then you'll go eat a lot, or then you'll go watch TV, or then you'll go do something, and you'll find some way to avoid what you're feeling. You know what's so powerful about this is that Jesus didn't try to avoid it. He grabbed a couple friends and he sat in God's presence with it. Here's what I mean. It says that Jesus went off and prayed this prayer. Abba, Father, everything's possible for you. Take this cup away. And yet not my will, your will be done. That took me all of like five seconds to say. And then you know what it says? Verse 37, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. He says, Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? And then it occurred to me, oh my gosh, he was out there for one hour. I highly doubt he kept praying that same thing for one hour. Maybe he did. What really occurred to me was that Jesus knew where to go spend the best hour that he could. And he brought a few friends along as well. You know, I want to encourage you again that when we're in these situations, don't just throw up a random prayer, but actually engage in the presence of the Lord. You know, because another thing that's really, really cool about this to me is that when we come and engage the Lord and spend time in his presence when we're in these situations, it's also the fact that Jesus Christ is our risen Savior. It says that he's at the right hand of the Father. It says that he ever lives and intercedes, prays for us. But what I love most is that in Hebrews chapter 4, it says that Jesus was made like us in every way, yet without sin. And then it says in 4.16, he says, so therefore boldly, boldly approach the throne of grace. Boldly approach the throne of grace of Jesus, of Abba, Father, to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
Oh, that we would learn to not run around and go to all other kinds of sources of comfort or distraction, but that we actually grab some friends and just be present with all of that angst, with the Father, with the risen Jesus who understands and knows what we feel. And bring a few friends along and hopefully they won't sleep on you. (laughs) Well, then Jesus said, let's go back to verse 35 though. He says, going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. See, somehow in the mystery of God being sovereign, of God being in control, Most importantly, that God is in fact working out a plan, a plan that would save lives, a plan that would advance his reign and rule, a plan that would in one day he's going to wipe out Satan and death and finish this thing off. See, God has a plan, but somehow in the midst of that plan, what's amazing in this prayer is for us to realize that that plan is not necessarily like a train on railroad tracks where the train can only go one direction. That somehow, some way, in the sovereignty of God, there is also this place where we can actually come before Him and say, Father, with you, everything is possible. And would it be possible for this to go away? Remember even Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, remember he had that thorn in the flesh and it says he prayed three times, Father, would you take this thing away? I'm so grateful that we can pray for it to go away and that sometimes in God's sovereign plan, that can be one of the options. Now, we know what the answer was for Jesus, don't we? Because we get to the end and it says, returning a third time, verse 41, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. See, I don't think Jesus necessarily didn't expect that to be the answer, but he wanted a different one. And then he got his answer when the betrayer shows up. I don't know what answer Paul hoped for, I think I know. I think he wanted that thorn in the flesh to go away. And you know what answer he got? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. It didn't go away. You know, there's a story of David. You guys are probably familiar with it. Remember when uh, David and Bathsheba, that they sinned, and Bathsheba got pregnant, and she gave birth to a son, and because of the sin, God said that he was going to take the child, and the child was sick for a week. Now, you remember what David did? David fasted, prayed, refused to shave, wash, eat, do anything, and he was on his face crying out to God for a week, and then the child died. It says that he saw the guy standing off to the side whispering and murmuring and so he yelled over to them and he says, yo, what's up? Did the child die? And I said, yes, your majesty, he's died. And they were so nervous. And instead, it says, David got up from the ground and after he'd washed, he put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house and at his request they served him food and he ate. And the servants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now the child's dead, you get up and eat. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him and he will not return to me. And he picks up his duties. 
See, what I love about that is David understood even what Jesus did, is that sometimes there's a different option and another possibility, and so we pray, and so we ask. But then we have to say that prayer knowing not what I want, but what you want. See, the other thing that's really, really difficult, I think especially for us as American Christians, is that when we get saved, there's this subtle little trick that the enemy plays on us in the sense that we think there's this consumer mentality that we just are born and raised with. We don't know any way else to think, really. And so there's almost this consumerism mentality that enters into our prayer life that somehow when I became a Christian and I got saved, God became my eternal medicine cabinet. That God became my magic man. That God will do anything and everything that I ask or want. But that's not the case. When you became a Christian, it wasn't about suddenly you had access to all of this power for God to do for you whatever it is you want. The truth is, and we always have to keep this in mind, is that when we became Christians, you and I got saved into something. We got saved into the body of Christ, into the family of God, and most importantly, we got saved into the mission of God. And so that your life and my life is no longer is it really about what I want, it really is about what he wants and how he wants to use my life and situation and circumstances to advance his purpose in the earth, to see his kingdom come, his will be done, until he returns and sets all things straight. (laughs) But see... Jesus understands what it means to be human. And so then he says these most important words, verse 38. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. See, in John chapter 12, Jesus' spirit was really willing. What, Lord, should I ask that you take this away? No, let your glory come. But moments before getting arrested... He knew what it felt like to be threatened by a very grave situation. He felt the strain. He felt the stress of the pressure of what was to come. And so he says to them, watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. For what would be the temptation and what would it be that we would fall into? It made me think of Job and how Satan comes to God and Job is totally unaware of this. And God says, look at my servant Job. He's awesome. He loves me. He serves me. He obeys me. And then Satan looks him right in the face and says, yeah, God, but does Job fear you and love you for no reason, for nothing? Take away all of his stuff, and I guarantee you, he will curse you to your face. Well, you know the story. He takes it away. But then he says, okay, fine. Satan comes back and he says, all right, so you took all his junk away and he didn't curse you, but I got something else. Afflict his body. Go after his health and let's see what happens. It says it this way. Chapter two, verse four, he says, skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well then, He is in your hands, but you must spare his life. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the sole of his feet to the top of his head. And his wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. 
And he replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And so in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. See, here's the temptation. The temptation is when that pressure is on that way, when the one that we care about, his life is threatened, when, when we feel like things are imploding all around us, when that pressure comes on, we feel that, and the enemy's number one goal, his temptation is to get you to curse God. It's to get you to doubt God. It's to get you to deny God. It's to get you to try to take your situation into your own hands. Isn't that what Satan tempted Jesus with in the wilderness? He kept trying to get Jesus to do this thing in a different way. Make yourself famous, make yourself popular, jump off the temple, go do it some other way. You don't think that Jesus in that hour wasn't thinking, God, is there some other way? And how much he might have been tempted in that moment to think, you know, maybe this would be a good time to jump off the temple instead of go to a cross. See, our temptation is to want to take things into our own hands. Our temptation is to want to run away. Our temptation is to want to doubt God, to be mad at God, to be angry with God, to be disappointed with God, to be disillusioned with God, to back off from God, to withdraw from God, to do less for God, to curse God, maybe not out loud, but in our minds and in our hearts. And if we do that, then the enemy wins and the kingdom doesn't advance and you lose. And the primary reason we would do that is because sometimes we would think that our faith is all about us, but it's all about Him. It's all about His purpose, and that's what we've been saved into. See, Jesus said, watch and pray that you won't fall into temptation. The spirit is weak, but the flesh is willing, because He understood that there's a great temptation when we don't get what we want. I think probably in kind of our better moments, we're able to say like Jesus and say, oh, Father, not what I want, but what you want, until the pressure gets really difficult, and then all of a sudden, it's, you better do what I want. I really want what I want, and if you don't do what I want, well, you fill in the blank. See, we pray for requests because we know that we know that we can come to a risen Savior who understands, told us to boldly approach, who cares about it, and He prayed knowing that there's a possibility that things could go different, and so we pray. But oh, may God help us to not just as a little saying that we just know by memory and rattle off, but from the depths of our heart, God is transforming us so that we can genuinely say that at the end of this day, if I didn't get what I want, I can really say, but not my will, yours, Lord. Thank you for listening to the First Love Podcast. We would be so blessed to have you partner with us in this ministry. For more information or to subscribe to our weekly update, visit firstlovedministries.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. God bless and have a great day.